So, if you know me and you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know I'm always looking for new ways to make myself hashtag better than yesterday. Well, I came across a new way with an awesome company out of Canada called New Breath. I've been using their tub for cold exposure therapy for over a month now, and my body just seems to feel better and better each day. It's no secret that I love to work out, and I'm always sore, but taking a cold plunge each day has really changed that, for lack of a better term. Now, I'm still sore, I'm just not as sore. I spend about 10 minutes in the tub, three to five days a week, in as cold as I can get the water using some large ice blocks, and it's been great. My body feels better, my sleep numbers have increased, and the general resiliency, I guess you can say, has been great for me, because getting in that water truly takes your breath away each and every time. You have to focus, you have to calm yourself, you have to control your breathing to get into that zen-type state. So you can learn more about them by heading to their website, newbreath.ca, and save yourself some cash if you're looking to make a purchase of one of their tubs by using code THESIZEUP at checkout. So funny how that happens because I've been here with my guest now for a few minutes and we've just been chatting and the dog has been a hundred percent fine. The second I hit the record button, Clarice is like, yo, I want to be in the show. I'm going to growl at you. I'm going to be annoying. And that's just the way life goes. So she is unfortunately back in the basement hanging out by herself for the next little while. Cause that's how life goes. Right. And that's sort of an interesting segue that this happened today because my guest that I have on with me today really wants to talk about that kind of, uh, I guess, work-life balance, home-life balance. And it's interesting because he runs a social media page and he doesn't necessarily talk about that on his social media page too much. And I thought it was interesting when he came up to kind of present this topic to me that I've been wondering about. So so Tyler from the Citizens Fireman, welcome to the Size Up. How are you today? Doing great, Pip. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. You know, we had a, a couple minute chat. And like I always say to my guests, like, I want to just hit the record button and go because we're like recording a podcast when we're not on the podcast. You got me? Or did you lose me? Uh-oh, technical difficulties. Uh, I think I'm good now. Okay. Uh, so I was saying how we, we were kind of recording the podcast before we were recording the podcast. I feel like that always happens. Yeah, you'd want to jump in and just start talking right off the bat. It's funny, too, because it, it happens. I've noticed now that I've, I've done a couple of these episodes, I guess is a good, a good number to say. Sometimes I know my guest, like I've met him before or her. Other times I haven't. But the same thing happens. Like we just jump in. The Zoom button starts. Hey, how are you? And we're talking about like important topics <laughs> it uh crazy how stuff like that happens all the time uh actually kind of similar i just got back from a conference and uh got the network with uh, some of the instructors at the uh, social before uh before the sunday morning session started and uh, started asking some questions and you know you start talking more and more and then after about hold on like you're, you're gonna ruin my lecture for tomorrow like you gotta wait <laughs> it's always the best when they're like you're you're out with a bunch of people and they're actually doing their lecture in the place that you're at or a part of their lecture and you just see what i think is funny about that because i've seen that happen a, a lot is that people just keep appearing and some of the people that are appearing are ones that have no interest in the topic but they just want to learn absolutely or even the ones you can tell and just kind of stick around for a tidbit of it and then kind of wander off into the distance. No, no those are the ones that don't want to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely, or, or they realize like, oh, I stepped into it. So with me, when, when I was doing a lot of the instructing things and, and talking about fitness and lifestyle and things, you know, there'd be folks that would wander in and be like, what is this man talking about? I came here to learn about how to throw ladders and rescue people. And they would just vanish off into the distance. <laughs> I've, I've experienced that going to uh, going to some EMS conferences with my wife because uh, I, I have an EMR license. That's our minimum where I work. 
So I've attended a few classes, went to our state conference with her once just to try to pick up some CEUs and, you know, used to, accustomed to going to fire classes and fire conferences where I'm on the edge of my seat the whole time, sitting back, just like, man, I've really got to have these two hours to renew with no interest in what's actually going on on stage. Nothing against any of the speakers or instructors, stuff like that. But you can definitely tell when somebody's not engaged, they're not interested in it. It, it could be hard too with some of the EMS topics because unless you are really into medicine and the human body and uh, the background of all of that can really, really get boring. Oh, it can. And that, that's never been like a big thing for me. My wife loves it. She, uh, she's been an EMT for just about as long as I've known her. She, uh, she actually graduated nursing school back in, well, I don't want to get it wrong. I want to say 21 and uh so she she loves the medicine loves the medical field and I like it just enough to do my job in the fire department <laughs> that's not my cup of tea no but you, you see that a lot in the fire service you know especially if you're a non-transport agency um like for you where you are you have to be an EMR which is a, a I would assume is just emergency medical responder right is the title yep. for that um, so in my department, uh, we have to become EMTs and we are non-transport. So we have, uh, whatever we're up to now, 109 members and, you know, maybe the newest 20 still haven't gone to EMT class, but of, let's just say the 90 that are EMTs, I think there are maybe 10 of us who have ever worked on an ambulance in any level whatsoever, maybe 15 to 20, but maybe we'll say 15. So you have a lot of people going on EMS calls, but they've never experienced the true EMS experience. And in all honesty, you can't really be good at that job unless you're doing it. It's one of the reasons why I gave up being a paramedic because I wasn't doing it enough and I wasn't immersed in it. So that's a big part of it, I feel like. I feel like that's one of the things you got to you got to stay hands on with too. Uh, my department, which we're a smaller department, we've got uh, 21 people in uh, just in suppressions. We got seven seven per shift, and we actually just within the last couple months had our first two pass their national registry for medic. And I'm like, hey, y'all, super proud of you. Take off to the moon with it, but that's not me. Now, is that gonna is that leading to something for your department? Are they able to act as a medic on the rig? Because because in New Jersey, I was not able to act as a, a medic on the fire engine. Uh, both of them have went to work for the EMS service part time, but we've kind of started revamping some of the things that we run, like what we stock in our medical bags to try to start easing into letting them do some more ALS care type of stuff compared to where we were just, well, actually when I first got hired in the department, we didn't run medical calls at all, except for EMS. The volunteer department in our city ran medical calls in our city while we sat in the station. Gotcha. So it's, it's been a huge culture shock change and it's just changing more by the day. Yeah. I mean, and that's what's happened to a lot of departments, you know, mine went, the way of doing first responder EMS in, I want to say the late 80s, early 90s. Um, we just had some of our last members that didn't have to become EMTs retire. Um, and, and we've seen, you know, there was a spike in EMS calls and then there, it was kind of like highs and lows of what we were doing. And the EMS organization in my city has recently grown exponentially. And so they have less, they have more ambulances, which means less needs for us. Uh, so now it's kind of like the flip where our EMS calls are, it depends on the day of the week, how many rigs they have on, I guess. So some days we do a lot of EMS, other days we do no EMS. See, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of the opposite for us here. And I knew practically nothing about the EMS system until, uh, until I got with my wife and I've learned so much stuff from her just like I said, with her coming home and that she starts rambling on about what she's done at work. And at first, you know, it's just kind of jaw dropped, like you're speaking a foreign language to me, but I've kind of picked up on a lot of it over the years. But, you know, for us there, she works for AMR. Okay. Uh, they cover our county as private, but it's an hour plus 
each way up the interstate for us to get a patient to a level one trauma center. So there's a lot of need for fire response to EMS calls where I'm at because, you know, we it's not uncommon for us to drop to level zero or to see out of county ambulances coming in to pick up calls because you know, we just don't have the hospital systems to take care of, you know, your major calls without having to hop on the interstate and now you've got an ambulance out of service for hours. It, it sounds a lot like where I just was in Iceland where they literally told us at one point uh, we went to see a geyser. And so the water was about anywhere from 350 to 450 degrees running right next to where you were walking, essentially. There wasn't much of a safety barrier between you and the boiling hot water. And the tour guide wanted to remind everyone that the nearest hospital was over an hour away. So that was going to be a really painful ride with your burns if you decided to. I want to see if they're lying or not about the water. <laughs> yeah not literally don't want to test the waters on that one you know, that is like, that is a very good way to point it you don't want to test those waters at all that's what i told my boys and then i'm like you guys should try it i don't, I don't believe that guy and like, what are you an idiot? <laughs> I'm like, oh, you'll be fine my wife's like their skin's gonna burn off but you know it, it's something that you don't realize and and a lot of firefighters don't realize or, or emergency services providers you know when you're in an inner city type environment and we, we have two hospitals in my city, one being a level one trauma center. Our longest transport is, if you're lucky, 10 minutes, and then boom, you're at the door. Um, we do have places in New Jersey that are a lot further away, but an hour, you're nowhere, an hour is no one. <laughs> That's for sure. That's, I mean, we've got two hospitals here in the county, but it's more of your cut, scrape, or inpatient type of type of ordeals, you know, most of anything that comes in there that's really going to upgrade in anything else, they're either transporting out with EMS or they're, they're bringing in air medical and they're shipping them out somewhere else. I was going to say, you guys probably do a lot of air medical type transports and things. I would imagine. We do. We've, we're in contact with helicopters a lot, <laughs> especially having the interstate system, you know, high speed crashes, things like that. And it's, uh, but luckily for us, actually, the next city up the interstate from us, which is probably about 10, 15 minute drive, there's an air medical base sitting right on their interstate exit. So as long as they're in service, it doesn't take us long to get one on the ground and get somebody out there. Really shorten that hour transport time down. Yeah, definitely the, the whole aeromedical thing. We use them for uh, for burn patients to get them to the burn center here in New Jersey from where I am. And it's interesting because people are like, well, you have the helipad at the, at the trauma center, but you can't bring a patient into a hospital just to use the helipad. So we have to set up a landing zone, which we've done a few times. And it's kind of people get comical and they're like, but you have a trauma center. Why are you using this football field as a landing zone? And it's a whole <laughs> different, a whole different story left for another day. But it, it's, it begs a lot of questions that, yeah, you can't just wheel them through. Uh, someone did that a few years back and it was a very... Someone paid a very hefty fine, so we could just leave it at that, I guess. But, you know, when you talk about your wife, and, and that was one of the things that when we were kind of pitching this episode back and forth was was a big topic for you. So how did you meet your wife, I guess, is a good way to to kind of start that being you're both in an emergency services family. Uh, we actually both met through volunteer fire departments. Uh, the county fire service here is 11 separate volunteer departments. And there's two career departments, uh, Athens, where I work, which is a little bit larger city and then a smaller city, Etowah. Um, but I actually volunteered for the department, volunteer department here in Athens, Athens Rule, and she volunteered for Inglewood. And those two departments run a lot of calls together. And we were both, she's a year older than me. So we both came up through Explorer programs when we were in high school, young kids hanging out at the fire stations all night long wanting to run calls stuff like that and then being a close department with us you know sometimes they'd hop in a truck and come over to our station or vice versa pulling pranks on each other stuff like that really really close-knit friend group back then and that's uh that's kind of how I got to meet her and then she went on to work EMS I went on for the career fireside and we saw each started seeing each other on calls at work and then just kind of hit it off from there 
it's interesting how, you know, every, everybody obviously always has a relationship story and, you know, in emergency services, they always tend to do with like, oh, we were on the same department or we saw each other on calls. Um, it's not unlike how my wife and I met where I was working EMS and she was a physician assistant in the ER and I was dropping off patients to her and we were going out, we worked night shift. So we were on that, you know, we stay up all night on our days off schedule and, you know, it, and we actually met, I was working EMS, so it was before I got hired or right as I was getting hired. But one of the things you had mentioned to me is that you have that kind of understanding of what each other is doing. And I think that's a huge thing that drives, you know, nurses and, and cops and firemen and, you know, anyone in this field together. It is. And, you know, it's not just me and my wife either. Uh, actually, she has a sister and her sister's a sheriff's deputy and her husband works as an engineer for the same department I work for. So we're all, you're all in the family. You're all in there together. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's nice. I hear a lot of people they've talked about, you know, well, I had a long night at work and went home the next day. Wife didn't really understand or upset that I had to go to these classes, stuff like that. And I mean, it, you know, it can still get irritating at times whenever work takes up so much of your life, but there's still that little bit more of an understanding of like, you know, I've been there. I've had to, I've had to go do the similar things before I've got to go for her. You know, she's got to go keep CEUs up. Like I said, for a advanced EMT license, I'm going to different classes. I just got promoted back in January. So I've had to meet new job requirements, things like that. So there's a little bit more of a, like I said, an understanding of what all the job entails. You know, it's not just to go into work and clock out and wait on the next day. Yeah, that that understanding, and that's like a key word in all this is is the understanding part. Because when you have someone who doesn't work in the emergency services field, you know, they they just don't get that same feeling. But I feel like a lot of the folks that I know in that situation, they also hide a lot from their spouses. And I don't even know if it's hide is the word I want to say, but they don't educate their spouses as to you know, you hear people say, and I've heard this throughout my whole career, like, oh, you never tell your spouse that you slept all night at work. And I'm like, yeah, you tell them that. And you tell them that it still wasn't a good night of sleep. Like there's no such thing as a good night of sleep when you're in a station. Uh, you know, another part of it too, uh, you said people hiding stuff from their spouses, you know, unfortunately we all know that some of the, some of the stuff in emergency services that it entails isn't the prettiest thing ever. You know, you're going to have the bad days at work. There's going to be days when things just take a curveball and everything goes wrong, just snows balls downhill. Uh, and I feel like a lot of people really don't want to come home and expose their family to that. But one thing that I can say, being in a dual emergency services marriage is, you know, if especially working in the same community together, you know, if an incident happens, like everybody knows about it and it's not something that we have to come home and hide from each other. Like I know if my wife's had a stressful day at work, if they've had a rough call, been exposed to something, she knows the same. So you kind of kind of get to pick up on that and be like, hey, you know, I may have to nonchalantly try to try to push a little bit harder for them or vice versa compared to somebody coming home and just trying to keep shoving it deeper and deeper and end up dealing with some of those stress related incidents later on in their careers, later on in life, stuff like that. And it's one of those things too, that, you know, if you're trying to hide it from your spouse and your family, you're really not doing anything to help yourself either. Now I'm not saying you come home, you know, I can, I can tell my wife, just like you can tell your wife, anything that you saw on the, this was the worst thing I've ever seen scale. And listen, there's a lot of folks out there not within our community who can't handle that kind of a thing. But I think you have to come to that middle ground of explaining to them in a way that, you know, last night was a really horrible night. You know, we had a call that involved kids and it's really affected me. You know, the same as I've seen in my career, we're starting to use post-incident stress debriefing teams uh, way more than we ever have in the past. The same type of thing to just explain to them that, you know, these next couple of days are going to be a little rough, but I'm going to go to this meeting and hopefully that's going to help. And I'm going to try to do something to make this okay. It is. And I mean, either whether you're talking, being in a 
having that family setting where there is more of an understanding or whether you just, like you said, have to find a way to kind of explain it to them. You know, that, that to me, that's supposed to be your support group. Like you, we've all got our people at work. We've got the different resources, like you said, the stress management team, stuff like that. But when we come home like that, to me, family, that aspect of it, like that, that's what keeps you grounded. So, you know, hiding stuff. I don't, I don't foresee anything like that leading to nothing good. No, it definitely, and it never, it never does in my experience, even when I've done things like that, it, it never did. And, you know, you, you currently, you just told me you have a two-year-old daughter and, and another child on the way. And, and look, when my kids were little, they didn't hear any of these things. You know, now my kids are 13 and 10, because I'm the best dad in the world to remember their ages right there. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and, and they lived through the, the pandemic here in New Jersey with us and, and literally seeing us and how stressed we were then. But as they got older, you know, I, I, again, I don't tell them everything that I see at work, um, but they know a lot more now than they did when they were younger, um, especially the 13 year old. And he also picks up on things a lot more than I even expect him to, you know, my father was a firefighter and he retired when I was 12 or 13, but I didn't pick up on any of the bad stuff he had seen at all. Cause I was just an idiot, I guess. But my 13 year old can tell like, Oh dad, you had a bad night last night, you know? And even then too, you know, I'm, I think anybody that, uh, anybody that's really involved with their, with their children, with their family, you know, the, the wife can be a great support, but children, that's a whole different story. So, you know, that can be kind of a take and a give with the kids kind of starting to understand some stuff too. Cause you know, I kind of, like I said, with the, with the spouse thing of trying to give that extra little bit of support, you know, you, you start picking that up from your kids, that, that could be a game changer. Yeah. You know, that, that support from him too has, has been great. And, and also too, I use it a lot to teach them things because, you know, uh, I work in a college town. So we deal with a lot of uh, folks who are on their own from mom and dad for their first times in their life and feel as though, yeah, reheating, you know, the pizza in the pizza box in the oven is a good way to go. Or, you know, the water on the grease fire is a good way to go. <laughs> or just have no clue what to do when the smoke detector beeps type thing. So I use a lot of them as teaching moments for the boys to be like, you're never gonna do this, please. Really start explaining to them the whole, you know, don't do anything you don't wanna have to explain to the, don't do anything you want to explain the dad's friends when they show up in the fire truck. <laughs> this is true. This is true. And also you don't want to do anything that'll get you on the internet being stupid. So that's a whole new ball game of parenting. And I can't even fathom what it's going to be like when, when your little girl is 13. <laughs> I don't even want to imagine it. Which again, too, is another big part in a marriage and an emergency services marriage though, is the social media aspect of things. Because now when an incident happens, I mean, it's almost live on the internet, you know, or the information is coming out so quickly that you have to have your spouse prepared for the fact that there could be something bad happening. Absolutely. Because, you know, you're tied up on, if you're involved in that incident, you're tied up on it. Like you said, social media, news outlets, stuff like that. They're probably going to find out about it way before you get a chance to even get that sit down. Hey, this is what's went on. I'm okay. Or whatever it may be that somebody out there with a camera is going to already be capturing it and blasting it out to the world. And there's a good chance they're probably going to get a hold of. Yeah. I mean, there's just no way to not have that happen anymore. You know, we, we, we talk about it at work that we are literally always on camera. Um, we recently started to get some folks actually showing up to like every call we're on with cameras, kind of like they do out West or like, um, even I know in New York city, they have a citizen app and I know guys that say like when they're going to a fire, they can pull up the citizen app on the way to the call and almost see live footage of what's happening at the call before they get there because they're coming before the rig actually gets on scene yeah and you know that that's something that again your spouse could be seeing or getting notified of you know and especially you know you have you're not as much uh, out in front of your social media page yet at least that i can tell 
And so I don't know how many people know you, but it's the same type of thing where I've kind of been out in this community for over 10 years now. You know, sometimes my wife will get texts like, is, is Pip working today? From someone that she barely knows in another state. Oh, a lot. Of so, you know, it's one of those things that, again, being in this dual responder marriage, and in your instance, with your wife being on the ambulance, it's the same vice versa to you. You know what I mean? Like folks on ambulances are involved in, in just as many of calls that make the internet as we are these days. It is. And, you know, I catch myself digging for it, honestly. Like, you know, we have a, uh, we use an, uh, an app at work that kind of updates like live CAD notes from dispatch when we're going on calls and I have the mobile version of it on my phone. And when I know she's at work, if I see a med call come out in the city, I'm like digging through there looking for EMS notes. Like, what's she doing? Like, what are they, what are they re responding to? What's going on? Oh, you can't you know, she'll, I'll hear back from her an hour later and she'll be like, sorry, we had this. I'm like, yeah, I know. I've been reading all about it. Like just been sitting here watching it. I've been watching the updates as they come across. And again, there's good things to that. And then there's bad things, right? Because then, you know, if she went on a bad call, you're sort of prepared to help her. But then you also have the flip side that if she went on a bad call, you're nervous for what could be happening to her. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it's something on the National Fire Radio uh, series right now, the Maui firestorm that comes out every Monday that some of the responders are talking about that where they were in the area of the fire had no cell service. The other side of the island where they live did have cell service. So their families knew they were in grave danger where they were, but had no way to communicate with them. They had no way to touch back home to let them know that, hey, you know, I'm good. Yeah, they said at, at one point, on. I think in episode one, um, they had said how, like, at one point, they were able to find a pocket of cell service, and everybody was just trying to get, like, that one text out, like, that I'm okay, so at least the folks there knew that they were okay for the moment. Uh, actually, before uh, before I got promoted up to company officer when I was a driver, actually kind of dealt with an incident with my wife finding the first time that she found out there was a larger scale incident before I had a chance to fill her in because she was used to me uh, being on the pump panel at that time. You know, I've always said the first five minutes of the fire is the busiest time for an engineer. And after that, it kind of starts to slope downhill. 100%. So, you know, I, after water supply and everything's going, you just pull the phone out of the pocket like, hey, you know, we're on a working fire. Everything's good, whatever. And one of the guys that I worked with, his wife was uh, pregnant at the time. And I don't know if it was just the pregnancy hormones or what, but decided to call my wife in the middle of the night. And was like, have you heard from any of the guys? They're on this huge commercial fire and I've not heard from anybody. So when I finally get back to my phone, my wife's been blowing it up. Like, why didn't you tell me this was going on? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't win. You're damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't, right? <laughs> you know, it's one of those things too that like, sure, our, our communication systems are so much better. I mean, here, my phone is sitting right in front of me as we talk, right? I'm sure as yours is probably somewhere near too. And it makes me wonder like if that over communication is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, when I got hired, cell phones were I mean, we had cell phones, but they weren't as popular as they were. But the firehouse phone would ring all day with people's spouses calling them uh, or girlfriends at the time. Whereas now it's just their cell phones ringing. So who knows? I'd say that's the, you know, I kind of came up through the little bit of the opposite. You know, I've had a, I think I probably got my first cell phone when I was 10, 9, 10 years old. So from that point forward, it's been just the, button away from contact with anybody right there on your hip at all times and you've survived you've managed to make it in life as a as an adult with a cell phone since 10 <laughs> it, it, it cracks me up with barely at times but we're we're squeezing by you know you, you get the folks you see the post and, and you may have one on your page where it's like oh put the phone down you're at the firehouse kitchen table or, or whatever it is but when you walk in, it's or like they, they, the folks that post about it like to say it's the young guys, but you walk into any firehouse anywhere and 90% of the people are sitting on their phone, you know, dee, 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 doing things like that. There's a post on my page that is pretty much to a T what you just explained. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it's a hundred percent, you know, some of the, some of the most phone glued people I've worked with haven't been the, the younger guys. We actually all make jokes. I won't, I love him to death. I won't say his name on the podcast, but a retiree now, anytime somebody's watching a video, watching TikTok, anything like that at work, and they've got their volume full blast, we'll turn and look at him like, okay, so-and-so, because I swear all shift long, and just sit and watch videos on Facebook. And I don't know if he's hard of hearing or what, but it was like he had a Bluetooth speaker just full blast playing it while everybody else is sitting in the lounge or whatever you were doing. So, you know, it's, it's not always that generational curve or blaming it off on, well, it's just the young kids. Like, no, it's all of us. Like, I think just, everybody's pretty well, a lot of people are glued to them at this point. Everybody is. I mean, my father's 85 years old and he's sitting there scrolling on his phone and I'm like, dad, I see you one time this week and you're going to be on your phone and not even <laughs> want to talk to me. Like, here we are, we're hanging out. Like, and I, it's, I'm just as bad as my kids. I mean, but I feel like it, it's a level of comfort that we're all used to now. And it's that time to be like, hey, we're not going to do this. You know, like when we were just, again, on a family vacation in Iceland, like, hey, we're on this bus. Look out the window. Don't be on your phones. And we all needed that reminder, whether it be my wife, myself, my kids, all of us. Notorious Fire. Such a great name. Brings me back to bumping mid-90s rap jams from the one and only Biggie Smalls. Lenny is literally the man when it comes to custom designs. Dude went to art school like legit college for art. Just look at all his work. This guy has artwork on snowboards and even guitars. He's constantly creating new sticker designs. But more than that, he's customizing tumblers, mugs, glasses, cigar cases. Well, basically anything you can customize at this point, Notorious Fire Company will customize for you. On top of that, his IG game is on point. And occasionally, you even get to see a pic of the man behind the brand. So check him out at NotoriousFire.com or on IG at NotoriousFire. Trust me, you won't be disappointed in his work. But I think, I think technology too, though, on that level of, you know, there's pluses and there's minuses to everything, right? But here we are, both people who run social media pages, essentially, who wouldn't know each other if it wasn't for this medium. Absolutely. You know, it, it gives and it takes and also kind of coming back to the home front aspect of it, too. You know, I feel like a lot of people, you know, I catch myself doing it. I come home from work and take a nap and then get up. And it's the first thing that's right there. And I instantly get on my phone and I catch myself like, hey, like, put the, put the phone up. Like, let's, let's spend some time with the family. It's really Stuff hard. Like that. I'm not. It, it's a really hard thing. Like, it, it's very easy to be addicted to. And. And even too with kids, like, you know, you, you have your daughter home with you now and you're like, oh, she's watching some videos on my phone. And sometimes that's what has to happen. Right. But you also need that healthy balance of it, just like at work. Like there's nothing wrong with, with plugging, unplugging from the fire service a little bit while you're at work and watching some mindless anime video like my rookie does now. <laughs> it's like my kid. It's literally like my kid. I'm like, are you watching anime again? <laughs> We can, uh, we were actually just talking the other night. If you turn the TV on in our lounge at, uh, at my hall, you can uh, go to YouTube and just off of the searches, you can see the shifts that have came in based off of what they watched. You know, we got some that are like avid hunters and, uh, my, uh, my engineer and actually I'm super lucky. My driver was my best friend in high school. So me and him are super close and, uh, he kind of got me back into the, the fitness world and he he's like big like loves bodybuilding stuff like that so you will go on the youtube when we're on shift and it's nothing but him watching stuff like sam sulek videos and things like that all right so what's the third shift to watch then we got hunters we got bodybuilders you probably have 2448 is my guess so uh what's That's your what third shift on. watching they watch nothing I don't think they watch much YouTube, honestly. <laughs> it's just it's just the other two guys, you know, but but that too is another thing where we watch a lot of YouTube videos of fire buffs taking videos because it's an, a decent way to train. You know, what would oh, we do? We do we that did? all the time. We'll sit down and, you know, one of my favorite uh, Stockton out in California, they've got some great videos they put out with their helmet cam footage. Yep. You know, they'll, 
they'll timestamp it with uh, they'll have the dispatch audio, audio over. Yep. and you know I'll sit down and uh, the firefighter on our truck loves to come in there if he hears them turn on come sit down and start watching them with me and it's a it's a great way to you know you can take the fire department videos two different ways you know people can sit back and be the armchair quarterback with it or you can especially for departments like that that are they're catching I think uh, I want to say that one of their last videos I watched said that the department was averaging at least two to three working fires a day yeah so you know you're watching these guys like you know they've, they've they should pretty well have this figured out so maybe we could sit back and take some notes off of it and learn a thing or two from them compared to sitting there and criticizing every move that they make because they're on a different coast than us. And, oh, well, we don't agree with that tactic over here. And even if you don't, it's okay to not agree with it. A lot of the stuff I watch, a lot of those Stockton videos and a lot of the stuff they do is not going to work in my department, not even close. Um, But Uh, to realize that, right, that's half the battle kind of saying like, listen, that doesn't work. It works for them. It's not going to work for us. Maybe we can do something a little better, though, kind of like they do. Maybe, you know, if they were watching videos of what we do, they'd be like, oh, we should do it that way. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a big thing. And it's the same thing with a family and, and with kids. You know, my uh, younger son has dyslexia and he learns he's a very much a visual learner. Um, his reading level has gone exponentially. You know, he's right one level below where he should be kind of. Uh, through the educational system we have him in, but he still watches videos on YouTube and he'll come up with things that you're like, like we were in, again, just in Iceland and you're on top of a volcano, a volcano that's going to erupt while we're there. And he's telling us about lava and magma flows and how it happens. I'm like, bro, where'd you learn that? And YouTube, <laughs> literally YouTube. Oh, okay, cool. Anything you want to learn, like it's just a fingertip away from it being right there in front of you which I think is a good thing, you know? And if that's what, if you're not just watching anime videos all day at the firehouse and you are throwing some educational tips in there and and videos, why not, you know, have at it. I think it can be a good thing and a bad thing for us in the fire service though, when it comes to the educational stuff. And I mean, I'm saying this as somebody who's started a kind of newer page. I mean, we've, I think the page is just shy of 800 followers right now. So, you know, it's not been around for that long, but you kind of got to be cautious of what you're paying attention to fire service wise on social media, in my opinion, because there's really no way to vet those guys. No. Like there's, no there's no way to, it's not like you're going to a, going to academy or going to a conference and listening to these lectures where like, okay, looking at it, uh, the last conference I went to, we got the pleasure of listening to uh, Mike Scotto from the FDNY. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you sit there and you look at that man's, his bio and you're like, all right, you know, this pretty well vets itself. Like I'm going to trust practically anything this guy says, but you get on social media and nothing says that the guy that just made this post isn't a two week rookie out of the Academy in a department that maybe catches two fires a year and nothing wrong with departments like that. But you know, you, you don't, you're on there putting yourself on as something that you're not. So yeah, I think you that's of, the, the bigger thing on the internet is that, you know, anybody could put anything up about anything in any way, shape or form. So it's all with a grain of salt. You know what I mean? Like I learned, I learned very early on in this game was like, don't read the comments and it still holds true to anything that goes on. Whether it's fires or any, just, just don't read the comments. You know, I, I like to learn from any way I can, you know what I mean? Is the easiest way to put in it and watching a lot of videos like that or, or different things. I'll always pick something up. You know, whether it be, you know, those Stockton videos, they're clear, concise radio communication, you know, they have that very easy cadence, you know, and and maybe they're not posting the videos of the people screaming on the radio either, like we have in other places. Um, But you have to think about that as well. You know, that that could be something going on. Absolutely. So how did the Citizens Firemen come about? Because honestly, every time I, I see you pop up with a post, or like even prepping for the podcast, I can't not think of the scene in The Departed where they write citizens on the on the envelope. You know what I'm talking about? I've never seen it. Oh my God, that's so disappointing. Dude, watch The Departed. Like it's literally- I'm, I'm, I'm it's about a to top take 10. a mental note to myself now to, to go watch it. 
It is a top 10. I will be asking you weekly if you've watched the part again. But there's a scene where he writes citizens and uh, a guy who's from Ireland is like, that's not how you spell citizens. And he crosses it out and changes it. And so when I see your post, I, I don't know, just made me think of that. Uh the page really came about honestly as a way to keep myself motivated and we uh also kind of a different aspect of it we do company level inspections where i work so a lot of us are also state for certified fire inspectors okay and a big thing for fire inspectors i've noticed is they all love to throw around the word network they go to conferences and that's all it's about is just meeting people from different jurisdictions and it's, Hey, have you ever ran into this? How did you handle it? But we didn't, at least where I'm from, I didn't really see much of it from the suppression side of things. And especially working for a smaller department. I love where I work. I love working in my hometown, but trying to kind of feed some of that hunger for wanting more out of the fire service. And getting able to meet new people, you know, I've been able to make connections with people that have just been a game changer for my career in the short amount of time, probably the past year that I've been doing it. So it's, it's been a, it's kind of, as I said, a motivator just to, just to feed myself. And also it seems like kind of trying to motivate other people has kind of been a pickup for me too. Uh, kind I of something that I picked up from uh I'm actually still currently drilling, unfortunately, in the Army Reserves. And one of the things that I picked up from there as a team leader, which was kind of completely opposite of the fire service, was military leadership is more, that's not my job, point and finger style, compared to I was in the fire service before I went into the military to where the fire service, you know, I feel like a lot of it is upfront taking charge. Like I'm going to set an example leadership and seeing the difference between those two really made me enjoy the fire service kind of philosophy behind it of wanting to better people through bettering yourself. So that was, that was kind of a, that's kind of a, one of the big reasons and wanting to kind of branch out and start doing some stuff outside of the own four walls of the station that I work in. Which is awesome, you know, and, and getting yourself out there. But, you know, one of the things, and I have was not in the military, so I, I can't speak exactly to to that knowledge. But, you know, you always hear in the military that it's it's the NCOs that are really the motivators and, and the glue that keeps the company together. And when you think about it, it's because they were the private at one point. Like, yes, officers in the military go through boot camp and, and they go through training, but it's like in the fire service, you know, the majority, I'm sure there are some places that aren't, but every chief was a rookie firefighter that cleaned the bathrooms and made the coffee and did all the housework. You know, we've all come up through that kind of hierarchy and it really matters as you grow in the fire service, how you change. You know, like I, I, I never forget where I came from. Just the other day, we needed uh, seafold towels in the bathroom. And I had to go, I was going in there or I was in there and the rookie's like, oh, I'll leave them out here. And I'm like, yeah, don't worry, I got them. And he's like, oh no, I'll do it. I'll do it when I come back. And I walked out of the bathroom and I grabbed the towels and I put them in the paper towel dispenser. Again, it's like the littlest stupid thing ever, but what do I care? Who Who am I to say I'm not going to do that? Absolutely. You know, one of the probably one of the biggest quotes that ever stuck with me that I saw and it it just happened to be the perfect timing was as soon as I got promoted to company officer, I just happened to get on Facebook. Like the first thing that pops up was I can't remember what page it posted it, but it was just a picture of a fire engine and over the front of it, they had put a caption that said never, never be too good to clean the toilets. Yeah. Like, you know, everybody think the crappiest job in the firehouse, like Literally, nobody wants to go in there, especially, I mean, you know, we don't have, most of us don't have the best diets in the world. So uh, the toilets aren't always the prettiest place. We might have the shiniest apparatus, but the, the firehouse bathroom may not, uh, may not be very pretty, but you know, it, it takes just as much effort in my opinion to 
lift a hand and or go find somebody to come do that task. And it's going to take to take a couple seconds and knock something out on your own. Like you're not my opinion, like I'm not too good to do anything like you're you're all there for the same job. I'm living in the same station as the rest of the guys are. And it, it comes down to two with something like that, you know, because I find myself sometimes, you know, saying like, hey, could you do this? You know, asking one of the, the younger firefighters like, hey, could you take care of this for me? And it's not because I'm not going to take care of it myself. It's just because I have something else to do. So we yeah. always have to keep that in mind as well. You know, that it's, you know, there's that leader who is always telling other people what to do and never doing anything. Then there's that leader that is asking other people to do stuff because they are too busy doing their own stuff to do it. And you also have the complete flip side of the person that just does it because they don't want to talk to people or do anything like that. And uh, kind of back to my wife too, we've we've kind of talked about this and when we've had some get togethers over here at the house and I've got to talk to some of her coworkers and stuff. I think it's crazy the difference between fire and EMS, at least where I'm at too, because you know, the medics essentially the supervisor role on their ambulances and they're put in that position based off of a license. Like there's no, there's no leadership build up to that for them okay. compared to the fire service where we're putting people through multiple classes. We're setting different, a long list of things that they've got to meet and we're promoting people based off of qualifications um, off of personal traits, things like that compared to, well, you passed this test. So now you're going to be in charge of somebody else. And I think we see a large difference in leadership styles because of that too. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think too, with EMS being such still the youngest of the services, like only really starting up in the, in the sixties kind of is an easy way to kind of put that, that they're starting to grow and follow the models that fire and police have kind of set when it comes to having a promotional process. Uh, but it also depends on, you know, how big the department is and, and what they can and can't do. Um, you know, when I worked EMS, basically it was like, you want to be the supervisor? Okay. You could be the supervisor. And that was who the supervisor was. And what happened in the, my tenure at the department I was at was people were supervisors and then they were like, nope, I don't want to do this job anymore. And they went back to being a medic. And then a few years later, like, no, nah, I think I want to be a supervisor again. So they took the spot when it was open, um, that kind of revolving door. And I, I'm seeing them getting away from that more and kind of using that process because, you know, you have to want to be a leader, I feel like, when it comes to a leadership thing. And you have to have certain qualifications. Um, and some of them, you know, I think a test is a very good way to to kind of different, differentiate who wants it more. Absolutely. And, uh, actually, for the EMS service here, uh, we're starting to see some of that changes, too. They just went to their supervisor was just on an ALS unit. They were on uh, the unit that my wife works on. And within the last year, year and a half, I believe it was, they've now took them off the, and put them in their own QRV by themselves. Yeah, it's impossible. And they've to got to focus a little bit more on being a supervisor than exactly. just being a paramedic that has to run a county worth of EMS service at the same time. So While they're taking care of patients. That was how it yeah. was when I worked EMS at, at the department I was at. The night supervisors were on the trucks. They were a regular medic. Um, they have since taken them off and actually now they have multiple, I really can't even keep up with, you know, who's got a leaf on their shoulder today and a Lieutenant bar the next day and <laughs> colors mean anything, and, but they are, yeah, they're totally, it's totally changing and growing. And I just kind of smile and nod and figure it out. But, um, you know, you see that growth and, and that's a big deal. You know, that's a good leadership growth and it's good to see them growing. It's also being on the flip side of it and understanding there's hiccups along the way with that growth. There is. And coming up through it myself, I went through a lot of more, more so personal doubt and questioning myself over things like that. And that was something my wife's always been great about is in a very stern way, pretty well, just no, shut up. You can do that. I know like this, this is what you need to do. Like now go do it. So she's she's always been that more uh, more of a motivator for me too in my career, with 
wanting to wanting to push things along. She's a like I said, I was I was riding the back seat whenever we got together. So she's got to see me come up, spend some years as a driver, and now just about to round my first year as a as a station captain. So. Yeah, I mean, and it's always good, too, that you appreciate that. And she appreciates it as well. And you let her know that, you know, this is why I was trying to get the both of you on this podcast, because as, as quiet as you said she was, I'd be pulling stuff out of her right now to be like, is that really true? You're, does he really feel that way about him? <laughs> but you too, like you said, she was an EMT who went to nursing school. When you met, she was an EMT. You got to see her grow and now become a, an RN. Uh. Well, she's actually about to go back to school for RN. She's at LPN right now. My bad. So uh, we actually, she she got off the ambulance for a while and went to work in on the nursing side of things, went through some work, tried multiple different jobs for it, trying to find where her fit would be. And we always thought that she, they're on a 2472 and with us on the 2448, we always thought like, oh, these schedules suck together. Like when they back up, we're, it's 48 hours, especially having a kid, we've got to find a babysitter. And then she came off the truck and started working these other jobs. And we quickly realized that we took those 24 hours for granted because when she gets those 72 off, like they line up so much better together compared to her working Monday through Friday. Like it's kind of nice with, even though you may have those two to three days a week where you don't, you're not going to get to be at home with each other at all. Every other day you're going to be there for the full 24 she's not going to come home at five o'clock and be tired or vice versa. So that was kind of one of the driving factors for her to actually want to get back on the truck with EMS. And even though I said she was about to go back to school, we're not necessarily wanting to try that schedule again. She's, she's wanting to fly as a nurse. So gotcha. know, they, they work a lot different schedule than just a ER nurse or for around here or home health, whatever that, whatever it may be, the, the flight nurses kind of work more of an emergency services type schedule. It's crazy that you brought that up because I was just going to ask you about how your schedules pair up because being a, a dual emergency services couple, I'm sure that, you know, babysitters are key in that lifespan. It is. And it's, it's gotten more difficult here, uh, here within the last couple months, babysitter wise. Uh, I don't have much family that lives around here that we're very close with and unfortunately my mom just passed away and she was kind of our go-to in-town babysitter so now we have to rely more on her parents and it was that we're kind of starting to wind down from that but that was kind of a stressful situation to begin with because unfortunately her and I both were on shift when that happened and we're the responding trucks to that incident so Oh man. Okay. We'll save all that story for a podcast another day. I'm very, very sorry for all of that is a, is an easy way to put it. And that's one of those things though, that that's a challenge that we face and that you faced on two levels with having your wife being involved in it as well. Um, So that always makes for a, a tricky situation, but to me, it sounds like you've handled it in the best way you can. It is. And that kind of goes back to, uh, kind of what made me think about the having the having that little extra bit of support with the understanding with each other because you know it was family was really close-knit then but and both of us kind of I don't want to say because definitely didn't take anything lightly but we're able to grieve a lot different than others may be so we were able to focus a lot more attention towards taking care of my father and doing things kind of keeping taking care of each other here at home but out in public trying to help take care of the rest of the family and put affairs in order stuff like that so it the the double emergency services it just like we said with the technology you know it gives and it takes yeah for sure i mean i'm it's this is again one of these weird moments of like you know i I lost my mom within the past year Um, and it wasn't sudden, you know, we had her on hospice care, but my wife now works in palliative care. So we have an episode that we talk about that experience, uh, a few episodes back, but it's one of those things that we were there for each other. And I was there for my father and my siblings in a way to 
kind of be the bridge of explaining everything that was going to happen. Um, and it got really unique in uh, the fact that my brother kind of was like, well, it's not like you've really seen people pass away, Rob. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And of course, my family calls me by my first name, not Pip. Um, but I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I've been doing this for 27 years. I've seen loads of people pass away. Um, but you have that own experience of it being your loved one, which which changes it. But having that dual role really helped, uh, helped tremendously, just like you were saying. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things, you know, people talk about working in your hometown, working where you live. And, you know, I thank God that I'm married to who I am because that took a huge load off of my plate. I hate, I hate that she had to deal with that as well or that we had to experience it all. But I'm super thankful for the job that my wife does because that was that was a game changer having to deal with a traumatic experience like that but having that understanding and that knowledge between each other here at home and able to help, help my dad out as well. Cause like I said, you know, we don't have a lot of family around here that, or I don't, she does that's able to come in and kind of take the load off and put affairs in order for people. So we were kind of able to take that role for him. So it's definitely kind of paid out for us, both, uh, both being emergency services at the same time, you know, as a, it was a downer, but it kind of came with some some perks for things later on down the road. And that's it. And and I think too, I'm gonna go with as we're we're getting close to that hour time here. It's like the title of this episode is almost like a double edged sword, because I feel like that's kind of what you're sitting on in in this situation where there's so many positives to it, but yet there's probably equal negatives. And it's the understanding of both people in the couple that that's the way it's gonna be. Absolutely. And I think I would definitely say now, and my wife and I have been together for four years, give or take, the the positives of both of us being in emergency services have definitely outweighed the negatives by far. Oh, I can. And we've been together for 20 years. I can say that 100%. It's, it's, super, it's super fun to be able to come home and relate on a marriage level to what we do at work because both of us you know I don't aside from you know I'd say probably physical fitness that's that's kind of our together time is going to the gym that's about the only time we get away from the kids or the kid when we're at home so you know everything other than that probably entails emergency services in some way so there's not there's not much of that kind of down slope, come home, flip a switch off for us, but it's, it's paid off. So it has, and I wouldn't change any of it. Just wait because, you know, as your, your kids get older, then you get, you know, soccer and lacrosse and the play and you basically become me who is currently a chauffeur four to five nights a week of driving to multiple band rehearsals, practices, play rehearsals, you know, not to, I shouldn't say me, Tracy and I, both of us, you know, planning our lives around these two little boys' lives, which are way cooler than ours can ever be or ever were. So good luck to that. I'm, I'm going to look forward to following you and, and watching that experience. I, I can't wait for it. You know, I, I feel like a lot of that, and I mean, you, you know more than I do in that aspect of it, but I feel like that can help with Oh, not again. Help you come back down to earth. Oh, it definitely grounds you. You you, you clipped out a little bit, but you came back in with saying uh, down, comes back down to earth. And that is it. It totally grounds you, man. Yeah, <laughs> it makes for a good time. The internet is unstable again. Hopefully it'll stay on for us. All right, here, then we're going to we're going to kick this off. We could always do another episode another day. Let's do the size up 10 because we're getting around that that mark anyway. I like to I like to always get them in at the end. So you ready for Sounds 10 good. quick questions here? Go for it. All right, man, you go. It's going to be beach or mountains? Beach. Night out or night in? Not out. Ooh, really? I see. I thought you were going to go night in there. A good book or a good movie? 
Ooh, that's a tough one because honestly, I don't really do. Uh, You've do never seen to, The Departed, so how are you going to say good movie? You can't even come. I don't, I don't watch a lot of movies, and I don't read. I read books at work, but they're all fire service related books. <laughs> but I would, I would have to say YouTube. Movies, just say even YouTube. No, I don't watch many of them. movies, even though you don't watch many. Just say YouTube videos on YouTube. <laughs> that would probably be the go-to for me. <laughs> that's a first for that answer. All right, cross-country road trip. Who is your celebrity co-pilot going to be? Oh, there you go. You're back. There we go. Still. Uh, uh, I'd say not a, not a real, like, national celebrity because I don't – well, we just said I don't watch many movies, so it could be a local a, I don't get much tied up into that kind of stuff. But if I had to pick someone that's well-known, I would, per se, to take a – cross-country road trip with just because of the amazing time that we just had at this conference i would have to say uh bobby ecker <laughs> we got a chance to hang out with bobby ecker and that was the highlight of the conference for us because the fire service aside the man's just an absolute hoot. he's he's something else i uh he's, that's that's the about the easiest way I think you could sum up Bobby. That, that, that's <laughs> an absolute hoot. That, that yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. I'm just going to end it at that because you know my the special relationship with Bobby Eckert. I guess you know we we are both Jersey guys, but from very different parts of New Jersey. So you know we tend to love to hate each other in a different kind of way. But all right, I like that. <laughs> I can't believe he's never going to let me this down that you, you chose him <laughs> on my podcast now. Like he's going to be like, you you even had me on your podcast yet. This guy's picking me. Now I have to come on. <laughs> oh, how do I continue these questions now after Bobby Eckert? Scared what the next answer might be. Yeah, I don't even want to know. <laughs> it can't be Bobby Eckert anymore. That's the answer. Please. <laughs> do you make your bed every day? No. Oh, all right. At least you admitted it. My wife hates it. A million dollars right now or go back to 18 with a redo? A million dollars. I like it. I like that answer. Everybody gives it. Highways or back roads? Back roads. A bucket list place to visit? New York City. Oh, don't come there. It sucks. <laughs> Come to New Jersey. It's so much better. You can hang out with Bobby Eckert if you come to New Jersey. Why would you go to New York City? You should go to Camden, New Jersey. It's very scenic. I don't know that that would be good for my personal health or for my uh, marriage, to be honest with you. <laughs> good point. All right, two more to go. Football or football? Football. <laughs> Easy enough. All right, last one. Best advice you could give to your younger self? To my younger self, I'd probably say pick a path and stay with it because I was younger, especially coming up through high school and first graduated, I was indecisive on everything. Every life decision, I've had too many different ways I wanted to go with it. And I wish that I'd have kind of took this path just head first to begin with. That's really awesome because I think we could all say that about our younger selves though, right? Whether it be... You know, I, I kind of knew where my path was going to, but I did a lot of other stupid shit that I shouldn't have <laughs> along the way just because I wasn't on the path like I should have been. Oh, absolutely. I, I remember my freshman year of high school, I either wanted, and two completely different spectrums, I either wanted to dive like straight into agriculture or I wanted to go be a medical doctor. <laughs> and I remember sitting at a bonfire one night at like 15 years old with a beer in my hand and just sitting there thinking like, yeah, I don't think we're on the right path for MD here. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to have to, we're going to have to change some things. Somewhere in, the, somewhere in the play is like, ah, fire trucks are pretty cool. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. You probably made the right decision overall. Cause I know a lot of MDs that aren't exactly happy with their career path. So uh, I wouldn't change it for nothing. Like I said, Awesome, Tyler. Well, listen, man, I really appreciate you coming on today. Can you tell the folks where they can find you on the interwebs there, your your page? Uh, the Citizens Fireman right now is only on Instagram. I think I'm going to eventually start trying to hit some other social medias with it. But for right now, that's kind of what I'm sticking with. That's a so, totally smart move. And there's some underscores in there, right? It's the underscore citizen underscore fireman. Uh, yes. Okay. I got underscores. And, uh, Aside from that, uh, maybe kind of hard, but uh, I've had some people 
reach out to me on Facebook that have hunted me down as well. But if you can manage to do that, I'm always welcome to talk with people there. But I think Instagram is probably the easier way to find it. I'm sure there's a lot more Tyler Evans out there than there are uh, Instagram pages called the Citizens Fireman. I would go with that a hundred percent, you know, and, and, and maybe, maybe some folks have heard me say this before, but then I should probably just get him on the podcast, but there is another Robert Paparo uh, out there. Uh, he is a Saratoga Springs, New York firefighter. Uh, there was a brief time where we were definitely working on the same shift day. He's also vertically challenged and very into fitness uh, and married to a physician assistant. So that's how scary the world can be. On the creepy. Might be your uh, doppelganger there. It's really creepy. And like literally he reached out to me and was like, I'm so tired of people asking me fitness questions because they think I'm you. And I'm like, <laughs> Who, wait, I, like, I thought it was somebody messing with me at the firehouse. Like, I'm like, that's my name. And it's saying uh, it's craziness. Like, it's not like I have a very common name. So definitely reach out to, to Tyler on the Citizens Fireman on Instagram. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today, man. This has been a great talk. You know, tell your wife I said hello, and that next time she has to come on the show. I know she got stuck at work today, so that's the way your life goes. Probably a lot more than than most people's, right? Somebody's getting stuck. Uh, she well, she decided to stay over. It, it wasn't mandatory. Oh, she's, okay. she's trying to put back some money for the for maternity leave. But I actually, my Tracy, did you hear today, that? Tracy, did you hear what his wife's doing? I'm talking to my wife who should be listening to this podcast. She's working extra to make extra money. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, my love intentions it so today to get her on here was actually to just kind of uh, blindside her with it because I know if I told her before, because I asked her, I was like, because, you know, she still somewhat stays involved with the fire service. I was like, hey, uh, you know what NFR is, right? Have you, have you? listen any of the size up you ever heard of it or anything she's like no and i was like oh okay well that's cool we'll do a podcast with them and my intention was just going to be like today like hey come over here grab a chair with me like you're you're a part of this too because i know if i hadn't and was like yeah i want you to do it too she'd have she'd have stayed at work no matter what today just to, <laughs> just to avoid talking now I'm mad she took the extra shift because that would have just made for a great episode. I could have played like the marriage counselor. Like it would have been like the dating game, like hitting you with the cards that don't exist like the whole time. Like hide the knife. Her working the... last night, that might have ended poorly for me. Especially you're in the kitchen, like hide the knives if you plan on doing that again. <laughs> Tyler, man, again, thank you so much for being on today. You know, it's been an awesome episode. It's been great meeting you and chatting with you. Everybody out there, give him a follow on the Citizens Fireman. He's definitely throwing out some cool little blurbs. You have to look below the picture, and there's a nice little quote down there usually, and then opening up some great discussion. So it's been awesome. Um, as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, thank you to all of our sponsors, especially right now, uh, my man Lenny up at Notorious Fire. You're going to get to see some cool size up uh, swag, I guess we can call it coming out of there for, uh, soon, hopefully for the holiday season, but maybe afterwards, cause that's just the way things go. Um, and again, you know, tune in next Tuesday for the size up by national fire radio, because what you do off the job matters. What's up everybody. Welcome to episode 44 of the size up by national fire radio. And as I said, I'm just going to try to leave Clarice out and now I can't because she's being annoying because I'm talking. So give me one second and then go put her away and I will be right back. Hold on. Hold on.